Well, another week has gone by. It's Tuesday and Hangry Thoughts has dropped another episode. I'm your host, Abby. I am a registered dietitian working with an eating disorders and intuitive eating, following the approaches of health at every size, harm reduction, weight inclusivity, and fat positivity. My guest today, who's my second guest on the podcast, which is super exciting, is Ashantis Jones. And Ashantis follows many of the similar approaches that I take with clients in the fitness space and in mental health counseling. Ashantis takes an intersectional and holistic approach when it comes to clients and focuses on clients enjoying movement and being thankful for what the body can do rather than looking at intentional weight loss and specific aesthetic changes. We discuss this further in the podcast, along with the oppressive systems that exist in our society that further perpetuate diet culture, eating disorders, negative body image, and Ashantis shares some of their own experiences within this work, personally, professionally, and I am really excited for you guys to hear what she has to share. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey there, welcome to Hangry Thoughts, the podcast where we dish out on the best bites on intuitive eating, nurture a healthy relationship with food, and of course, bust some nutrition myths, because fork diet culture. I'm your host, Abby Roberts, non-diet intuitive eating dietitian and an ADHD girly, here to guide you through a joyful journey towards feeling amazing in your own skin and enjoying all foods. Join me as we navigate the world of food with a fresh perspective where guilt-free nourishment and mindful eating take center stage. Together, we'll tackle the myths that may leave you feeling a little hangry or hungry for the real facts. So grab your fork, your favorite snack, and let's dive into the Hangry Thoughts podcast because it is time to embrace a vibrant, satisfying, and empowered approach to food and wellness. All right. Hi, Ashantis. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. I'm so excited to be here. I'm super excited that you're here too. It's so weird because I feel like I've just talked with you on Instagram for like, I don't know. I feel like I've known you on Instagram for what, a a year, a year and a half? I don't even know. I don't even know at this point. I can can never keep up with the timelines of it all, but it's definitely been a while. Since like 2019, 2020, I feel like everything's just been a blur. And so I don't know. I don't know. Yes. 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 So uh, before we get into it, I want, so I I know that you are so many things like a a master's level counselor, coach, personal trainer, group fitness instructor, educator, digital creator, like so many things. So please introduce yourself how do you describe yourself like let's let the people know (laughs) okay so my name is Ashantis Jones I use pronouns she they um and over my overarching I think uh in the way that I would describe myself is as a wellness educator like that's what I wrote down when I got my LLC (laughs) (laughs) when they were like what is this business for And the way in which I do that, definitely the modalities will change. So I am a master's level counselor. I got my MED in 
college counseling, student affairs, and clinical mental health back in 2021. Um, so I'm a pre-licensed therapist um, that will be taking my licensure exam at some point this year. <laughs> and then I also have been a certified personal trainer for the last three years. I have been teaching group fitness on and off since 2012. Wow. Um, yeah, so I really have been able to um, realize my purpose, I guess, as a wellness educator through all of these different modalities, being a digital creator online, speaking engagements, workshops, etc. But all of it really does tie back to allowing people to find themselves and really their authenticity and what that means for them because yeah. one of the things that i've realized in the years in which i have you know gotten to know my own self is yeah. that there's a lot of things that were you know a really big part of my personality or the way that people would know me um that weren't actually things that i wanted to do or like doing mm -hmm. um but i did it because it was like the performance of it all for the culture um yeah. And so being able to have the space to um, really check in with myself and say, like, what is it that I want out of life? And what is it that is important to me and my values? And what is it that's important to me and the people that I keep around me? All of that, like, really is in my work and real life um, because I truly mean it when I say that like wellness sits at the center of my everything. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love that. And I think like, I'm just gonna start with Instagram cause I feel like that is like where I met you, found you yeah. uh, and like the first like impression like that I got. And when, when I first found you on Instagram, the reason why I like hit the follow button right away is because I loved the way that you talked about fitness and mm -hmm. how it is so radically different than so many other trainers or people in the fitness industry. Yeah. Um, a little bit like about me is like, I started as a personal trainer back in college and then okay. became a dietitian through that. Yeah. And, and so like with my background in training, I have seen and have experienced just the anti-fat bias, the, yeah. the the weight stigma, just the way that weight loss is so centered in the fitness yeah. industry. And when I found your page, I'm like, this is the exact opposite of how like the fitness <laughs> industry is so portrayed. And it was so cool to see just that that huge shift and the language that you use and mm -hmm. the um bring like more diverse bodies into fitness and just changing really what fitness is. Yeah, no. And I would just say like a lot of that has really come from me. I did not start as a weight inclusive, you know, fit pro. Like when yeah. I started teaching Zumba in the church basement with my mom back in 2012, it was because we had gone to a couple of Zumba classes at our local YMCA. And every time I would leave class, I would be like, I could do better choreography than them because I was coming out of a conservatory style high school where I was doing music mm -hmm. theater and coming out of doing dance and cheer and all of that. And so we found out it wasn't that expensive or difficult to get certified. Um, so we started teaching literally in our church basement. And it really was meant as a way for like, me to get paid to work out 
um, yeah. build community, but mostly it was building community around the fact that all of us wanted to achieve weight loss in some way. And so while the classes didn't necessarily ever have, you know, that boot camp style um language around uh the movements that we were doing the uh-huh. intention was for sure weight loss and it wasn't until yeah i got recertified during grad school mm-hmm. and started teaching on campus um i teach at the raymeyer fitness center here in chicago which is like DePaul university's gym but it's open to the community as well and so it wasn't until i started teaching there that I, and I had like gotten more at that point into understanding anti-diet and intuitive uh, eating and all of those things following my own ED recovery that I was like, wait, there's another way to do this. And it doesn't have to be weight loss or bust. And uh, so I like just slowly started to integrate the things that I was learning really more from the perspective of how to be a better ED therapist into that space as well, because I obviously understood the connections that were included because so often when folks have disordered eating or an eating disorder, movement in some way is usually being utilized in a disordered way. They just maybe don't know it or haven't been able to really put a name to it. So just really tried to like build that and so then when i had the opportunity to work in the boutique fitness industry um i was a manager and an instructor at Solicore for a while manager over at berries so like being able to be mm. in the boutique fitness industry and really like the elite boutique fitness industry at that and seeing the ways in which you know we were instructed to teach classes or the ways in which we were instructed to you know speak with clients um all of that really continued to like morph the way in which I now show up as an instructor and as a provider for folks, because I realized also some of the stuff that was behind the curtain. Um, And it was like, okay, I could keep doing this and I could keep even making positive change, right? Like we incorporated things like love your body classes and we'd write really kind notes to clients and things like that. And it was great. But like at the end of the day, I don't know. I just, I knew I could, I could be more impactful if I wasn't attached to somebody else. Um, yeah. A brand. Um, and really, really value the experience and knowledge that I was able to get in that time, but also really, really value now being able to do it in a way that feels the most authentic to me and feels like it is supporting all the clients that I'm seeing versus when you look at things really from the weight centric standpoint, you often end up having clients who think that they're like failures and it has nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I I really resonate with what you're saying surrounding how weight loss focused fitness is. And still, even if you're a part of a company, a, a boutique, whatever it is, and but you're wanting to start this change with the way that the clients and the members are viewing their body, your exercise, but it's so hard to do it and you're part of this organization that already has all these different policies and things in place. Yeah. I, I remember when I was at my last gym, when I was a trainer there, I would get 
in full-on arguments with one of the owners about like i do not like the way that you put people on the scale and mm -hmm. talk about how much weight they need to lose and that this is the plan that they need to follow and how this is harmful um and i also ended up leaving that place because it just got to the point of i can't do this anymore i mm -hmm. i can't be around that kind of language anymore and and try to push this change and i i think something that you had also said that i found really important and interesting is how you're discussing going onto your own and eliciting that change in that sense mm -hmm. and i i know that we can't talk about diet culture the desire for weight loss fitness culture without talking about all the other oppressive systems that right. funnel into diet culture yeah um, and just perpetuates everything and i know that you're really outspoken about those systems and mm -hmm. um before we really get into that though what was your relationship with fitness like before you really jumped into doing your own thing and kind of where it's at today Ooh, yeah so i would say that from from being a kid all the way up to 2017, which was the year that I got my ED diagnosis, wow. like that, that entire time, everything was definitely focused on fitness is a means to make up for what you ate. Yeah. The yeah. way that I really viewed it. Um, and then I would say post-diagnosis to like, truly before i started working in the boutique environment which was 2020 it was mm -hmm. like fitness is not necessarily doesn't necessarily only exist for you to be able to like make up for what you ate but mm -hmm. also if you're not going hard or like you know like doing the most extra shit, and then are you like really <laughs> trying hard enough yeah and then post 2020 and where i am now is movement is something that our bodies need yeah. and want but the way in which we choose to move our bodies the way in which mm -hmm. um the like level of intensity um and things of that manner that yeah. needs to be in accordance to everything else that is happening in your life and that's why i think that i really focus and uh remind people that i am always approaching these things from an intersectional lens because mm -hmm. if it's not sustainable for the client then that means that it's just not the right thing yeah and I actually was having that conversation with a couple of clients last week and they were like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, like if what we've figured out is going to be like your homework in between our personal training sessions or whatever, like if you come back to me every week and you're like, I didn't get that done because it didn't fit in with your work schedule because you didn't have any urge to do it because you didn't whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not you that is the problem. Mm -mm. It means that whatever we have picked just isn't the right thing for you right now. And that's okay, which means we're going to go back to the drawing board and we're going to find whatever the thing is until we can like have that habit really stick 
then we can build back up from there. And so people where they are, (laughs) I think is a lot of my philosophy these days. And I think that also has changed a lot because I have changed so much in the last couple of years. I've been diagnosed with ADHD. I've been diagnosed with autism. I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and learning that I'm hypermobile and all of these things that were always impacting my life. I just didn't know it. I think because I went through my own reckoning, if you will, with like my own internalized ableism, because that's a lot of what it was stemming from, frankly. Um, It allowed me to be a better practitioner because if I was able to rectify those things for myself, then I'm damn sure able to rectify it for my clients. Um, And again, meet them where they are right now so we can build from there versus me just being like, okay, well, I have another client who's doing this. So like, why can't you do it? They're not the same person. That's why. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is, that is something that, especially in fitness, it feels like it is so far removed. It is so, yeah. because in fitness, it's okay. We're all in this class. We're all doing the same thing. Everyone should be at the same level. If you're not, don't be in this class. It's not oh, do you need an accommodation? Do you need a modification for this movement? And I, I've always said too that it's it's easy to become a personal trainer or a group fitness instructor, but it's really freaking hard to be a good personal trainer or, fit, yes. or group fitness instructor. And yes. it really what it comes down to is exactly what you're saying of meeting people where they're at. And if there's something that isn't feeling aligned with them, it's not fitting their schedule, they don't have interest in doing it, you're so right. It's not them. That's the issue. It's, it's yeah, this thing maybe just isn't working for them right now, or it just doesn't feel right for them. And I love that you said that it's yeah, that that is not something that I hear many trainers talk about. I know. And it's so unfortunate. And like, then, you know, now, like I see pretty much all all of my personal training clients for the most part are people who have like found me on you know the internet interwebs or through <laughs> referral and that's why we meet with each other but because I do teach group fitness you know in this one facility over at DePaul I do also take personal training clients through them too and so I haven't had people often but it's I always am like you know, when when a person puts in a client intake form at a big box gym for a personal trainer, it's usually like, and what are your goals? And the check boxes are like, weight loss, weight management, general strength. And so like every client oh, intake form says weight loss, weight management, general strength. And so when I get paired with them, which usually is a lot of times deal based off of like, am, is the trainer available at the time the client needs it, right? Sure. That I'm like, hey, I've been assigned to be your trainer and this is something you should know about me. Uh And I'm going to be real honest about the fact that I'm not going to ask you to step on a scale. I don't want to know how much you weigh. Frankly, I'm not taking before and after pictures. I'm not bringing out a tape measure. We're not measuring anything Uh in that regard. Um, And if that feels very scary, that's okay. And we can absolutely go ahead and pair you with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're still going to have a fabulous workout. Don't get it twisted, (laughs) but it's going to be based off of you and your body and where you are right now, because 
a client who works out all of the time and now is just looking for some form instruction is very different than a client who tells me this is the first time they've walked into a gym in five years. This is the first time they've walked into a gym, period. Like mm -hmm. where I'm starting at with those two people, completely different spaces in the same yeah. way that you would never send like a child to the adult reading section unless you <laughs> already were aware that they had that literacy, right? So yes. why do we why do we do that in other ways where people don't have the education and we expect them to have it? Yeah, that is a I've never heard someone use that as the the child going to the adult reading section. That is a perfect analogy for that. Perfect. Um can you talk a little bit more about bringing this intersectionality approach into fitness because i think that's something mm -hmm. that's it's been talked about a little bit more of nutrition but i i really yeah. haven't heard a lot when it comes to fitness so i'm really interested in how you do that yeah so i mean for people who aren't aware because i always yeah. want to make sure when we're on the pod on the pod yeah. that people are like they don't need to pause and be like what the hell does this mean so intersectionality yeah. really is just talking about like looking at all the ways in which an individual's identities um and situations because a lot of the stuff that a lot of the situations that we're in when it comes from an economic standpoint where we live etc those are not necessarily always things we choose a lot of times those are things we're born into um and so it really allows us to look at all of the things that make you you mm -hmm. and when i look at all of the things that make you you that can kind of help me determine where we're where our starting point is and also where we want to grow so mm -hmm. for instance a client who comes to me and is a white female in their early 20s and lives you know here in chicago i'm gonna approach the way that i work with that client probably a little bit differently than I would with somebody who has the same background as myself, which would be a black woman in their early thirties approaching, you know, that lives in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Those, those things alone are a difference, right? Early twenties right. versus early thirties. Okay. If you're in your early twenties, then you've known your body for your early 20s years versus if you're somebody who's a little bit older you've known your body for a little bit longer so likely that means the mm -hmm. amount of times you've dieted is different the amount of times you've tried this program that program is different what was even available right there's a difference between people who are born in the jenny craig era versus people who are born in the keto era like uh -huh. <laughs> is a difference so like those things are going to make a difference right and then also the ways in which we look at bodies typically white women especially in america are taught that they're supposed to be quiet kept um and in regards to their bodies thin look younger than they maybe are those things are similar for black women but then there's actual racial connotations on top of that because there are ways in which we can be um unfortunately penalized if we don't do those things if you are not staying thin oh well then you don't care about yourself and you're a drain on the economy and it's a little bit because of the racial connotations and the racial undertones of white supremacy that exists in our country yeah. the it just has to be different and i have to meet them in different places and different types of compassions in some way because i can really really signify with that feeling of never being enough 
which I think is unfortunately a universal feeling amongst like women and AFAB folks, because yeah. that is what we're taught. And the way in which I speak about that with my white 20 year old client versus my 30 year old black client is going to be different. Very. Yeah. Because my white 20 year old client is not dealing with racism on an everyday basis. Yep. Yeah. So 100%. we have to talk about that. 100%. Um, something that I, I see come up a lot in the fitness industry too. And you touched on this is the ableism and and also racism and weight stigma and all of those other oppressive all systems, all of the things. Um, it's like, where do we begin? Um, right. And and so it, it's so important to bring that intersectionality approach into it. And, and also the reason why having diverse people, body sizes, gender identities, in the fitness, mm -hmm. not even just like taking the fitness classes, but instructing the fitness classes is so important because then everyone's bringing in that different lived experience and understands right. like further how to approach these clients and just make mm -hmm. it a space where people feel safe to come into, right. or look forward to coming into the space because so much of fitness is dominated by thin white people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like that alone makes sense why that part it just coming into the gym is intimidating, but then all the other systems in place. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think too, like, and if you only have, if the representation that you're commonly seeing in the gym is like thin white bodies, uh huh, those are also the people that are teaching the things. Yep. And like, how did we get here in the first place? Right. We got here because there was only one dominant culture teaching the things. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So like the only way it can be fixed is if we stop doing that. Yes. And I cannot tell you the amount of times that I have gone into a fitness class being taught by usually a thin white woman and uh -huh. taking a variation because that's what's best for my body in that moment. Whether that be because I'm having a fibro flare, whether that be because actually that movement is not conducive to somebody with like an apron belly, whether that be because my thighs are just too big and they don't space like that, or um, it simply could be, I'm more than capable of doing that. I'm just not doing that right now. There's yeah. a myriad of reasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and those classes in particular but that's when i find people being like oh go for the amplification go for the amplification go for the amplification and i love an amplification don't get it twisted but when i see you make eye contact with me and you're saying it i know that that's how you give a cue in a group uh -huh. fitness class when you can't individually say so and so do x y and z thing and you're yep. looking at me and assuming because of me being the only black body in your space and me usually also being the largest body in your space that I'm not taking the amplification because I can't. Uh, well, it's uh, not necessarily uh, because uh, I cannot. It's yep. because I don't fucking want to. And then yes. it's, oh, did you have trouble? No, I didn't have trouble with nothing. I just didn't want to fucking do it. Yes, yes. I had trouble uh, with nothing. I probably have a resume that has allowed me to be in this industry longer than you have and has allowed me to have more education than you have. But you look at me and you say, fat black lady. And I'm not even 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. even like I'm at the small end of the fat spectrum, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm a yeah. very average size body, if you will. Most people in the States look like me, right? Most yeah. fat folks actually do look like my body. But yeah. I don't think we know that because that's not who we see on TV, because it's it, not who we see in the rooms, because right. it's not who we see on the magazines. So everyone assumes that everyone is thin when that's not even true. I I was pushing up the sleeves on my sweatshirt because I'm like, oh, I'm getting heated. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> um, one thing that I talk about with my clients is like when you start getting into body image work, when whether they're working on recovering from an eating disorder, a diet culture disorder, whatever it is, yeah, um, body image work always comes in, and it's always a shock to my clients when I say the average size for a woman in like the U.S. is not a four or a six or even a 10 it's an 18 and so that's why it makes literally no fucking sense that like clothing clothing stores fashion it goes up to maybe a size 16 18 in the store or maybe an xl maybe yeah. and and like that's barely even hitting the average um right. so it's Which, sorry to pause oh yeah Which, like, from a capitalistic standpoint, doesn't even make sense. Right. Because like, y'all want to make money, <laughs> but refuse to make clothes for majority of the people. Yeah, it's like that's your whole MO is making money. <laughs> and like that's how I know anti-fat bias is so steeped in uh -huh. things. I'm like, capitalism isn't even making y'all want to be better. Literally, you know how much more money you can make if instead of only creating this top in a extra small a small medium and large if you extend it even to a x 2x like uh -huh. just even a little bit your little. market it doubles triples Easily. quadruples Easily. yep yep but uh i also have learned that a lot of that is again it's all ingrained stuff it's hard to find a manufacturer that will sell a t-shirt up to a 6X. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? I know. I know. I have a list of stores that go up to at, at, at least like a 2, 2X, 3X. And then if I can find them that go up to a 6X and the list, it, it's not even a page because no. it is so rare to find these things. and when you mm -hmm. when you were talking about being in a fitness class and the instructor saying like like do more do more go to the harder movement do the progression and then making that eye contact with you and how that feels uh, that brought me to a conversation i just had with one of my friends in a larger body doing pilates for the first time oh, and <laughs> oh right you're you're already like i know where this is going yeah <laughs> she went to a pilates class and like movement is still they're not movement exercise is still very new to her it's never been mm -hmm. a place that she's felt super comfortable in because of her okay. body size and mm -hmm. when when she went into this class she was like this is fucking hard uh i've never done pilates let alone the reformer or whatever the hell the machine is yeah um yeah. I just want to get used to this and feel safe with the movement before I try any of these progressions or whatever the hell we're, we're doing. Right. 
And um, the instructor made her feel like absolute shit because she made that eye contact with her when she was like, make sure you're doing the movement like this and then would redo the whole movement, come up to her and ask if she was doing it right. And it's like, well, why do we need to do that? Isn't right. everyone here to just move their body and just feel good? Why do we need to right. single people out in the class, regardless yeah. of if they're doing it wrong or not? If, if they're they're safe in the movement, like, right? That's really what matters. <laughs> exactly. And I think especially when you're utilizing a tool like a reformer, the first yeah. time I ever was on a, a mega former, I fell off of it. I fell off of it because I was not listening to the instructor. It was not their fault, yeah. but. Then when I started teaching on the megaformer, I would always be making sure that people were doing things that were safe because I didn't want anybody to have that experience. But outside of the safety piece, you're absolutely correct. I'm not coming over to you to do this and do this and do that because if I can see all of your brain energy is being spent on just figuring out how to properly hold a plank Babe, yes. I'm not asking you to add this, add this, do this, flip upside down. Da, 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 da. I'm not asking you to do all of that stuff because at the oh, end no. of the day, the plank is still going to do what it needs to do. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Like why, why are we in this weird fitness trend in general? I think right now of like doing the most extra shit doing the most. when usually being extra is what causes injury. Yeah. Your form is lacking. Uh-huh. So again, opening yourself up to injury. And what are you getting out of this? Right. I you did recently post. Yeah, you had recently posted a video. I think you just stitched it with um these two girls doing the most yes. on this bozu ball. Yes. And I'm like, oh, these could be maybe fine movements if they were all separated, but we're yes. trying to put it all into one and we're like slamming our body down onto this bozu ball while we're doing something with our upper body. And it's just so much. It's and so it, much. it's such a trend right now. And it has been for quite a few yeah. years of doing yeah. the absolute most. And I think a lot of that shifted just from Fitzbo's on Instagram yeah. Doing all these movements where it's like, I don't even know if they're doing that in their own workout. I think it just looks cool on social media. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, but I think that it creates, right, when you have majority of the population not in a gym environment or not in a fitness environment because they don't feel safe or seen. And so the only content or the only education that they have about fitness in the gym and movement is this stuff. They're like, that's not attainable to me. Therefore, fitness is not attainable to me. Yeah. But that's not true because whether you have full like physical ability have partial mobility, whatever the thing may be, there is something movement related more than likely that we'll be able to do that will meet you where you are. Yeah. And whatever that means. And that's going to look different for every person. But like, that is why I think it is so, 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 so important for us to honestly start listening and learning from more disabled people specifically Mm. within the fitness industry because 
they have been figuring out how to adapt to these things forever. Ever. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that we can continue to learn from people who have really dedicated their lives to being disability advocates. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. There's there's so much that I feel like I still need to learn and ways in which I can continue to make my class my classes more inclusive. Mm -hmm. And so like I will always say like my class is a safe space for queer BIPOC folks, um, for folks in fat bodies. And oftentimes the reason I don't necessarily also say disabled people is because I'm like, I don't feel like I'm doing enough as an instructor to mm -hmm. say this is absolutely going to be a safe place for anybody who has a disability, even though I have physical and mental disabilities myself and intellectual. Yeah. But I'm also like, okay, how do I get that education? And I'm yeah. talking to my friends who have certifications in adaptive group fitness. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I need. Right. And like, I know that I'm seeking that education. Yeah. But if you know that that is part of the problem, then how are you supposed to seek that education? And therefore, how are you supposed to get better? Completely. One thing, that, a few things that I wanted to talk about in what you just said, but the first thing was, how you said, I'm not going to say this is a safe space necessarily for like disabled people. Not that like I'm not actively trying to make it one or trying to learn the ways that I could make it more of a safe space. But I think that that's something that people throw along, throw around a lot is that term. Mm -hmm. This is a safe space, but then not actually doing the work to understand what what makes it a safe space and and how to accommodate people and then going back to the intersectionality approach mm -hmm. and it again is something that is so layered and i know we're talking about fitness right now but right. in all the ways that that goes into talking about like nutrition body size how you describe yourself and any kind of work whether that's a trainer dietitian therapist mm -hmm. any provider yeah, um, it's it, I think safe space is something that a lot of people are saying, but they don't really know what it means. Right. Right. Uh, and I, I think that, that, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right about that, because I definitely have seen people say, like, this is a safe space for BIPOC folks. And like, number one, black and brown and indigenous people, all of us, I think, feel very differently about like the term BIPOC sure. and if it should be used, if it shouldn't be used, whatever that I think is probably a whole separate podcast <laughs> in itself. <laughs> yeah. But that like they'll say like this is a safe space for BIPOC folks and then I'll hop onto a call or class or you know whatever it is and then I'm the only BIPOC person there. Ah, yeah. And yep. I'm like, so did you say that cuz you meant it or did you say that to your point, right? Because yeah. It's the thing that people are saying and unfortunately I think a lot of what gets convoluted in this work and within the wellness industry as well is that a lot of times people are saying things because they're like, oh, everyone else is saying they're body positive, so I'm going to say I'm body positive. Everyone is saying that they're anti-diet, so I'm going to say that I'm anti-diet. Everybody is saying this is a safe space, so I'm going to say this is a safe space. But to your point, they're not actually doing the work to make those things true or yeah. they're only doing the work up into a certain threshold. And usually that threshold stops 
when they're bed. uncomfortable. <laughs> when they're uncomfortable, yeah. And so that's, I think, why we have this issue specifically within the body image space in general. Sure. These are all movements that were started by black and brown women in the 60s and the 70s. Yeah. But if I ask your average person on the street, who's your body positive icon, they're going to probably tell me some white woman. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, when I'm talking with clients about where the hell body positivity came from or why fat is being reclaimed and why the word fat is not a bad word, Mm -hmm. We go back to talking about black women in the 60s and 70s and how they were the ones that started this movement and we wouldn't have it if it weren't for them. And it's you're so right. Like when you're talking about body positivity, body liberation, most people are going to say it is some white woman and they're likely going to be in a straight size body. And it's well, great. Like, I'm glad that this person is experiencing maybe body liberation but that's going to be very different because they're experiencing thin privilege and they're not right. also experiencing racism and all these other things on top of it right so what if we diversified our feed with other people that are maybe a little bit right. more of body fat liberation body positivity mm -hmm. in that sense right and outside of that too like when we think yeah. about the ways in which like brands are thinking about, you know, diversifying the people that they work with yeah. that like that also shouldn't look like a quota, right? It shouldn't yeah. be like, okay, yeah. we have 10 spots. So we want to make sure at least three of them go to not the norm. And if the norm is thin and white, and then you throw in three not thin and white, it really is giving we did this because we knew people would be mad if we didn't and not we did this because we actually think it was right and yes. that people can see through that yes the airy campaign right through it exactly people can uh -huh. see right through it yes. and so i'm like either put your money where your mouth is or don't uh-huh uh-huh and i think we've gotten to a point where there are so many of us specifically black and brown voices that are at this point saying i'm sick of this shit." yeah Use my French if I'm not allowed to curse on this past. You're week. allowed to curse. You can say fuck shit, whatever you want. <laughs> God bless. Um, but like that, we're like, stop playing in our faces and stop yeah. making me also feel like I'm an effing token Ugh. because I know it. Mm. And if you think I'm not aware, child. <laughs> You know, like, are you be yeah. so fucking for real? Like, yes. Yes. be so for real. And yes. I'm sick of being a token. I have been a token. Um, this person's only black friend. This person's that I've been doing that for far too long, literally since the age of five. I'm not doing yeah. it anymore. Yeah, over it, over it. When okay. Ari, when Ari dropped that that picture for their campaign on Instagram, my jaw literally fell to the floor. Because first of all, the comments passed the passed the vibe check. Everyone was like, mm, "Are you really inclusive if you don't even have an XL in your stores and you can only get online in certain styles?" Right. <laughs> and then just how everyone was in a straight size body, I think there were maybe three BIPOC folk in this yeah. picture. 
Um, and people were even like, they're all the same height, even. I'm like, yeah, they really didn't even try. Like, it's no. just, and no. everyone was what appeared from the photo able bodied, but of course, we don't mm -hmm. know. We don't know. Um, right. But it was just, it, they literally did the, the least they did the least right. they did the least <laughs> they did the least is correct and i think that i think that there is this thought that if we utilize non-white people to sell things then yeah. then automatically that means it's a specific campaign right yeah. like what would it look like for airy mm -hmm. to do a campaign that is not specific to black people but every single one of their models were black mm -hmm. The executives wouldn't, what do you mean? Why would we have all black models if it's not a black history month campaign? Ah, uh, uh-huh. Why aren't, well, you said you were an American brand selling to Americans and black Americans exist. Uh-huh. But that's, a, that needs to be a black history month campaign. You just can't have a campaign of all black people without it needing to be a black history month campaign. You can't have a campaign of all Latin a people without it being a Hispanic heritage month campaign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, white is the dominant. Uh huh. It feels if you know what I'm talking about, the meme of the lady where she's like, She's like thinking really hard, and then there's all this math above her. Yeah, yes. <laughs> literally. And that's what it feels like. That's what it feels mm -hmm. like. Um, I wanted to go back to when we were talking a little bit more around fitness, your experience as a trainer, and talking about the ways that you describe yourself and and like showing up as a trainer. And one mm -hmm. of the things in particular that I'm referencing is this narrative in fitness and personal training specifically where it is quote unquote and i know i don't have a video for the podcast but i'm using hard quotations with this that you have to look a certain way or a certain part to be a trainer and yeah. i i, I want to know your thoughts on that or how mm -hmm. you challenge that especially bring in this intersectionality approach and yeah. how you meet your clients yeah, I mean, it is definitely a challenge. I mean, like I have had people definitely, you know, especially in the boutique environment, walk in and they're like, you're the instructor? Mm. You're not just like the front desk girl? You want my resume? <laughs> exactly. Like, what do you mean? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, and mind you, and that was in times where I was smaller than I am right now. <laughs> uh, and definitely still teetering on straight size. And so I'm like, yes, yes, I am the instructor. There's no one else here. Mm -hmm. But you don't think you can learn from me because you immediately look at me and you're like, you have more body fat than me. What could you teach me about losing body fat? Is the only reason you're here to lose body fat, babe. But the only reason you're here is to lose body fat. I suggest you call a plastic surgeon because that is the only way you are going to be able to guarantee that you are definitely losing body fat. Because wow. if it's one thing about fitness, it's that they are giving you guarantees. These girls are giving you guarantees. They cannot, <laughs> they cannot actually know. <laughs> uh huh. The, the definition of diet culture just right terrible promises that they're providing with no end in sight uh, yeah 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 and so there that is why i definitely feel like it's important for 
if I can show up and I can teach these classes and I can talk about the elephant in the room sometimes too, right? That hopefully that allows the people that I am instructing or in community with to say, huh, that's a good point. Because there is really like no other industry in which like you are necessarily required to have whatever like the and you know what i mean like if i decide that i want to be a university professor right i'm able to do that right now as an adjunct professor or as an adjunct um staff member because i have a master's degree i could go and teach a class right and if i go and teach a class about being a lawyer but i'm not necessarily actively a lawyer at that time does that mean that i shouldn't be teaching that class Mm -hmm. i know the things Mm -hmm. i was previously a lawyer Mm -hmm. this is not real life for people who are like this girl is also a lawyer too no i was not (laughs) what doesn't she do (laughs) no i did not go to school for that but um but you know what i mean like yes there is an expectation for you to know the things you need to know the content in which you are teaching but like you don't need to have gone through the criminal justice process yourself in order to be a good criminal justice defense attorney so like why do I need to look like X, Y, and Z in order to be a good fitness instructor if the things that I am learning are going into my brain and have nothing to do with, frankly, my genetics, the amount of money that I have, the amount of disposable income that I have, the uh, how close is a grocery store to me? Do I have any spare time in my day or is all of my time spent taking care of other people around me? Like, all of these things make a difference and which we continue to ignore it only brings guilt and shame and guilt and shame are emotions that do not serve us as humans there is no like guilt i could guilt you over this and this and this and this and this it is only a negative emotion yeah that's it there is no person who is like, I have been guilted so much by this thing and it has made me change my life for the better. No. I love it, I love it so much. <laughs> right. And like, no. Shame. Like, yeah. shame. I remember my old clinical supervisor when I was in grad school told me shame is an emotion that we have evolved from. And we should not necessarily need to continue to utilize shame because it does not serve us anymore. And there are so many other emotions that we now have words for, understanding for, that like shouldn't even really be in our vocabulary. And yet, especially in the fitness industry, what's one thing you felt about movement or exercise or your body? Shame. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, easily. So how are we trying, you, you saying we all got the same finish line, mm-hmm. but the tactics are giving, we don't actually have the same finish line. <laughs> yeah. The tactics are giving, you would rather figure out how to make somebody feel really, 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 really bad about themselves so that they keep giving you money mm-hmm. rather than helping somebody encourage and learn and grow and maybe eventually not need to pay you in order for them to get that. Yes, 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 yes. And on top of that, 
I, the, the other like component coming in is this healthism that mm -hmm. almost, I find, I find more white people doing this when they're learning about health at every size and then still thinking that you still have to be healthy or look healthy in order to be enough deserving a trainer, whatever it is, when mm -hmm. health at every size, isn't just that it's looking at health in very dynamic ways and seeing that health is no yeah. one size fits all and is very subjective. Right. Um, and I talked about this with my guest that when this episode comes out, will be the week before um, the association for size and diversity, mm -hmm. health and diversity, ASDAH. Yes. I'm like, I can never remember when I'm like speaking about it at the top of my head. Um, I know all the acronyms. But, but I'll link them again in the show notes. Um, but yes, how this healthism comes into the fitness industry and just exacerbates this narrative of, yeah, if you don't look this certain way, you must not be healthy. You must not be fit. You must not know the things, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's tiring. It's tiresome. Mm -hmm. We need to get rid of that narrative because who does that say that? Who does that? Who does that help nobody it just shames so many people right. and especially right. the people that feel like they're not fitting that narrative or could never fit that narrative because mm -hmm. they're not a thin white person right right well and i think the other thing that healthism well healthism does two things yeah Number one health is a social construct and what yeah. i mean by that is all of us are going to have individual baselines of healthy right me yeah. having fibromyalgia alone means that like what would be considered my healthiest is always going to be at a completely different baseline than my brother who we have the same genetics same exact genetics but he doesn't have fibromyalgia so what his baseline of health is, is always going to be different than my baseline of health because of that alone. Yeah. Good and so like we, there's like this, that piece that we need to remember, but then also that we don't actually have access to healthcare. Mm -mm. So how do you expect individuals to be in charge of their individual health? If they don't even have access to a fucking doctor, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what? How does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. No. And so, it's just like, how, how, and why uh -huh. would I continue to push into this narrative when I know there are people in america who have master's degrees who are mm -hmm. quite literally homeless and unhoused right now mm -hmm. not because they did anything wrong but because all of us are literally one emergency away from being unhoused in the states yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what background you have what amount of education you have like that is just the reality at hand is we are all one little emergency from yeah. that and like obviously i can't say all right there are there are definitely people who have money in their bank accounts and so good for you um but like uh, uh a lot of people like you're one thing away from even if it's like you find out somebody in your family has cancer right 
okay, well, even if you have really great health insurance, that's not going to cover everything. That's not going to cover all of the chemo. That's not going to cover all the specialty visits. That's not going to cover all of the meds. That's not going to cover the amount of time that maybe this individual needs to be out of work because they literally don't have the energy to go to work because fighting something like cancer is its own job. So then now you've possibly ended up with cancer and you have no way to pay for it, pay for your services because you need a job in order to have health care in this country, but you can't go to work because you need to go to chemo. Mm -hmm. Make it make sense. Make, make it, it make sense. The more that the more that I talk about healthism, ableism, racism, all the isms. Yeah. <laughs> the more it it just kind of boils down to this point of like, what the actual fuck? Yes. <laughs> like like when when we get to this point in like specifically talking about what you're saying now, if someone could have a master's degree and be unhoused, what? It, right. It it just boils down to these things not making sense. People being fed up with this because it's we could do all of the things and and more so marginalized people doing all of the things that they possibly can and still not have access to resources still not have mm -hmm. the ability or the opportunities as someone in a white size or straight white white or straight size body um it's just these things they don't equal okay. these things don't make sense these things are fucked up yeah <laughs> and yeah I, I feel like when it all boils down to this these parts of it, it yeah it's just no fucking wonder especially mm -hmm. our generation gen z is just what's happening why yeah. why is this a thing still yes because i think a lot of it is stuff that like you know so many of us our parents like i think especially millennials right our yeah. parents are anywhere from i would say my parents are pretty young for having a millennial child they're in their early 50s um all the way up to like i have friends whose parents are like in their mid 70s right mm -hmm. and so when we think about those two or three generations, depending on it, and like what those parents were going through. You're talking about parents who were going and living through <laughs> like civil rights era, uh -huh. World War II, Vietnam War, like talking, like when you think about the things that were occurring during their upbringing, childhoods, and that is what was impacting and their lives, their families, political affiliations, social affiliations in general, right? And when you really think about that and the fact that that stuff was not a long time ago, even though we try to make it seem like it was in the States. I know. Um, that you're like, oh, no, it totally makes sense that if, like, you have a parent who's and like your grand your grandparent was living through the Great Depression, like, it actually makes a ton of sense how you ended up with an almond mom and then how you ended up with like an eating disorder because uh -huh. you're a person who literally maybe didn't have access to food and they had to ration it in order to literally just make it through to a person who then learned how to ration and then utilize that skill set from their economic standpoint right in order to diet yeah because they were told oh your bmi is too high because we just started using BMI also. And then that 
now has put somebody in a place where they're like, yeah, I've been on Weight Watchers since I was 12. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense how we got here. 100%. You really look at it. And yeah. to your point, people are over it. And we're like, okay, even though it makes sense how we got here, I'm not going to keep continuing to do this. Y'all going to have to change some stuff. Because I think the, the other pieces that millennials know that a lot of this stuff is like, the way that it is because it is not because it has to be. Oh, yes. Yes. It, it goes back to that point of, yeah, we're, we're tired of it. And I love what you just said there. It, it doesn't have to continue being this way. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's so cool to see this almost like new generation of influencers, if that's even what we want to call it. That are yeah, calling right. out the bullshit and and almost making a roadmap to how we got here. And it's, yeah, this makes sense. It doesn't have to be this way anymore. How can we feel more aligned with or connected with our own health and how that looks for us? How can we, you know, utilize the resources that we have access to for us and meet ourselves where we're at? Going back to the mm-hmm. intersectionality approach and whether that is in fitness, nutrition, mental health, all of the things, it really does matter all of the other things that are going on in your life, where mm-hmm. you grew up, your your parents' generation, your grandparents, how food or movement was talked about in the home, the resources that you had access to growing up and now as an adult. And that's still not things that people are readily talking about about in regards to nutrition, fitness, mental health, but it all matters. And so it's like, if we're not talking about that, how can we talk about feeling better in your mental health, body liberation, fat liberation, feeling included or safe in fitness spaces? You can't, you can't. Mm -mm. We could, I could talk about forever. Like, how long have we been talking? I'm like, oh no, I don't want to keep you the whole day, but no, it really is. It's it's something I truly could talk about for hours. And I think at some point, I don't know, I think I might do like a a little 24 hour come and learn about the things. Like, you know, people do like Twitch for 24 hours to like raise money. I'm yeah. like, we need to be doing Twitch for 24 hours for people and learn this shit. <laughs> Good <laughs> Lord. You can talk about it forever. You can talk about it forever. Yeah. But, and if anybody hears that and you take my idea, I will come for you. Um, <laughs> you heard it here first. Copy written. Copy, copy wrote. Copy right. Whatever. You other girls doing this anytime soon, I will be asking questions. Um, <laughs> but it, it really, it's all convoluted. It's all so nuanced. It's individual, but it's also not because we have to look at things from a community standpoint. Because without community, mm. we can't really live. You need community to live truly and fully um but it's it's all so hard it's closing remarks it is all so hard well ashantas thank you so much for being on the podcast today i really truly enjoyed talking with you hearing all the things that you had to say and just learning more about you too i feel like this is a long time coming we've been 
Instagram yes. friends for a while now. And now we actually meet face to face. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, look, I guess the other thing I'll say really quick yeah. before we end is like, I'm not always going to get it right. But we're human. I also appreciate when somebody calls me in and says like, actually, I would look at it a little bit more like this. Mm. And I think we need to be okay with that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's all a conversation, right? And we all have different lived experiences too at the end of the day. And exactly. all, all of that matters. But yeah, we're human. We're human. We make mistakes. We say things. It's fine. It's good. Fine. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much again. I really appreciated this. <laughs> yes. Thank you, everybody. I hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>